This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Call 805-372-0821 to schedule your no-obligation discovery meeting. Welcome to the Bryce Eddy Show, uh, where we are a threat to the Great Reset and working hard to put the man back in mankind. I know that's silly, but, uh, you know, we're going to make that a thing. So I have a special guest today, and that is Erica Kirk, law enforcement officer. We're going to leave some of the details, details out, but we're going to find out uh, a little bit about her and what's happening within law enforcement. And so with that, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, it was great to you know meet you uh, recently. We have a friend in common, which was kind of fun. Small little world, but um, anyway, I wanted to have you on because I wanted to you know first we'll talk a little bit about who you are and kind of your background and how you came to be um, uh, all of that stuff. Um, but let's. Uh, uh, but I, I wanted to specifically dive into some of the things that are going on within the law enforcement community in general and some of the pressures um, that are happening right now and some of the recent laws that are being passed and, and those kind of things. So um, with that, let's start by who are you? Who is Erica Kirk? Who am I? I am a girl from San Diego, born and raised in San Diego. I moved to Los Angeles after I graduated high school. And I am a mom of three young boys. At what ages? 11, nine, and six. Okay, so that's a rambunctious household. Rambunctious. And don't forget, I have a husband. Oh, yeah. And a male dog. Oh, boy, okay. Bryce is my husband, and Nash is my dog. Well, well Bryce yes. has a great name. I love it. I knew you'd like it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, uh, I went to UNLV. I left there, and I decided to move to L.A. I thought, why not? It was a great place to be. I had a friend that moved out here, and so I kind of just came out here on a whim, not really knowing what I was going to do. Um, and it wasn't until I started working that I'm like, I need a job. I need some stability. I was young and, you know, I had always dreamt of being in the FBI. <clears throat> As a young girl, I thought, how cool would it be to, you know, to be FBI agent? But along the... As a little girl, though, what <laughs> about the FBI do you remember in your memories? Like, oh, that that seems cool. You, you know, know, you see them, you, you see agents on TV. And right. so that was, I think, my... Um, I, I They had guns and they were solving mysteries and... Um, along the way, I, I realized that's not really what the FBI is all about. Right. Um, and it and it included a lot of traveling. And so I, I wasn't ready for all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, well, what else can I do? I'd love to be a detective. Um, and so I said, well, I can join the police department and become a detective. But what I didn't realize was that I had to be an actual cop first. Right. Before I made detective. Uh, so I joined the police academy in 2004 and it kind of just took off from there and I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I stood on the black line 
And I don't know if you know what that is, but... Well, tell the audience. Yeah, so the black line is the asphalt, essentially. When you get there, you all line up. You're in your suits, and you're getting yelled at from the drill instructors from every angle. Um, and here I am, you know, 25 years old, getting yelled at, not not having any clue what I was getting myself into. Right. Um, it was bananas. But uh, I made it through the academy somehow. And almost 18 years later, here I am. Cool. Now, were yeah. you an athlete in school? So, you know, getting to, you know, be in that situation, you, you kind of had some athleticism or stuff or was, I, was a lot of that kind of a shock to you? You know, I was always really fit. I played soccer. Um, right. I loved sports growing up. And so, yes, but along the way, uh, I didn't realize how intense it really was. And so I think I had a tough time with the running. I was great at sit-ups, pull-ups, all of that. But I, it really took a toll on me. Um, and so I, I suffered a few injuries in the mm-hmm. academy. Um, and it didn't set me back, but I limped through most of those runs. Um, I only run yeah. if I'm chasing somebody. Let's <laughs> see. That's my rule. Yeah. I'm only running to happy hour or Taco Tuesday. But right, no, it's, uh, it, was, it was a lot. Um, and I remember we were at a family party once and my dad was like, there's no way she's going to make it through the academy. Like she's never shot a gun. You know, she's not this tough, rough chick. Thanks, dad. Yeah. I was like, really dad? (laughs) Um, And I think that's what motivated me to really push and get through. I I wanted to prove to everybody that I could do it. And I did. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, good on you. So um, uh, where did it go from there with your career? So, you know, once you joined, you know, all right, you're, you're in place now. Um, Tell me, give me the kind of career trajectory that, you know, led up to being a a detective, being a sleuth. Right. So I, uh, I started my career in central division, downtown LA, the heart of Skid Row. And um, that was an eye opener. It was a huge eye opener for me. And I started there and then I moved to the Valley after that, uh, when I was, uh, off of probation. And when I moved to the San Fernando Valley is kind of where I found my niche. And I actually fell into the line of, of vice. And so vice is gambling, um, prostitution, al- anything alcohol related. Um, and that's where I initially found my niche within the department. I became a department expert in human trafficking mm-hmm. and, um, you know, saving those victims was something that I really thrived off of. And, um, you know, after that, I went into a community relations position where I was a senior lead officer. So I was always, you know, kind of out there, out and about on the streets. And it wasn't until 15 years went by that I actually made detective. I promoted to detective. So my dream of becoming a detective took about 15 years, but, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... um... I think there's a funny thing going on these days with, um, you know, kids and by kids, I mean, you know, some of the you know previous generations, you know, I'm getting old, so I can call <laughs> people kids, but um, where I think that process and that slog that you have to go through to reach your dreams or, you know, achieve what you want to achieve, you know, they think it should be a lot quicker, but I mean, that's, it's a process, um, you know, not just the learning, but, you know, going through the, um, you know, the, the process of, you know, reaching, uh, just the knowledge base and everything else that you need to, to be a detective. Um, 
and or anything else that you want to achieve in life. There's a little bit of a, a world that we're in where, okay, hey, I graduated with my degree. How come I'm not CEO yet? Right. <laughs> you know, um, and so, um, you know, that's, a, that's I think, a, a thing that we have to reset back to from our, our mindset that, you know, oh, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, tell me uh, what, what kind of cases were you working on as a detective? What was your you know, specialty or focus there? Or what, what did they have you as assignments on? So like I said, I was big into human trafficking. Yeah. And uh, we focused on a lot of the pimping and pandering and larger scale human trafficking um, type task forces. And people kind of turn a blind eye to it. They think that's not happening in our neighborhood, um, but it is. And so... That was my main focus. And then I moved into major assault crimes Mm -hmm. where uh, we focused on assault with deadly weapons and things like that. And I worked in Hollywood. And so it was a totally different scale than it was from the Valley. Um, The the types of crimes that you saw come across my desk were something that you would not even see in the movies. Um, And so it took a lot. It, It took a lot for me to understand the depths of these, you know, what was happening with the victims. Um, But then there was a shift in the law and our justice system and it became really difficult. And so my goal was to just be an advocate for these victims in general. Okay. So I want to, I want to go deep on a couple of things. So you're, you're talking about human trafficking and you're saying that, okay, people don't think it's, you know, happening in their neighborhoods. Give me, give me an example of that. Give, you know, uh, just hit on a, a couple of those stories. Right. So for example, I had a young girl who was actually from, Thousand Oaks and her mom came into the station and said she was missing. She couldn't find her. She, she thought she knew where she was and she was pinging her cell phone. She had some issues with substance abuse and they put her in a rehabilitation center and she'd gone missing from the rehab. And so to make a long story short, we ended up finding her location. Um, She had been picked up by a guy who had told her, Hey, I'll give you the world. You know, you are, beautiful. Um, you're young. Like I can, I can turn you into a model. Um, and so that's how it kind of started. And he basically took her to his apartment. Uh, you know, she went willingly initially, and then he started feeding her drugs. Um, he started posting ads for her on social media sites and he would just have men coming in and out of the apartment all day. And, Ultimately, he held her captive there for about 30 days. Wow. Um, and when we found her, I, I thought she was dead. I looked at her. She was green. She had bruises all over her face. Um, she was about 95 pounds. Um, she had matted hair in the back from moving her head back and forth on the pillow. And I remember thinking, like, this is someone's daughter. Yeah. You know, this is someone's friend. And... um how is she ever going to come back from this? And so it, you know, it took a, took about six months to get through the court process. And ultimately, you know, he was convicted of human trafficking. Um, but it still, it didn't seem enough. And I think because of the laws, it was, you know, I think he had to do a max of 10 years. And in my opinion, that just wasn't enough for the damage that he did to her. But um, it happens all the time. I mean, you have young girls in Walmart, in Target, where these these pimps come up to them, they talk to them, they lure them in, they procure them. Um, you know, I'll, I'll start a social media page for you. You can be Insta famous. But first, I need you to make some money for us. 
and he'll put her literally take her out to the Sepulveda corridor, put her out on the street um, and, and watch her from a hotel room until she makes enough money to make him happy. And of course there's no gratification for her. There's no, you know, Insta famous. There's, there's nothing comes of that. Yeah. Um, and then he, she becomes his property. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Bryce to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000. And it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by texting Bryce to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text Bryce to 989898 today. Yeah, it, no, uh, yeah, human trafficking. I mean, I think people are starting to understand a little bit more, but I think it was something that was ignored completely. Right. Um, and just, you know, who wants to who wants to even imagine that that stuff is going on, right? right? So you want to think that it's it's not really there, or maybe it's it's far more you know minimal um, than it really is. But it's a it's a scourge, right? Um, and uh, how do you? Um, as a you know detective, as a mom, as you know, um, just you know a living, breathing human being with feelings. How how do you deal with that stuff when it comes to seeing those things over and over again? So it took a long time. I think initially I didn't have a fear. It didn't affect me. I didn't have kids at the time. I wasn't married. I was young. Um, and so I pushed all of that to the side and it wasn't until I had kids of my own that I really started to work on how it was affecting me. Um, and so I meditate, I work out, um, I pray, I don't necessarily go to church, but I do have a faith in something bigger than, than yeah, well, you and we can I. work on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're evangelists here. <laughs> and, and so it's, um. You really have to learn how to separate that or it can, it can consume you. It can, yeah. you know. And I, and I ask uh, that for a reason, because, you know, I mean, I know uh, I, I'm, you know, close to a, a, a lot of cops, um, you know, our jujitsu school is probably 75% um, uh, law enforcement and first responders in there. Um, I've got a lot of, you know, friends that have, you know, been in that world. Um, I've been adjacent to it. Um and uh, a lot of them get, you know, get cold and hard right. um, and can bring that kind of cold hardness into what should be healthy relationships and their marriages. And, you know, that's why, you know, divorce can be so high and, you know, dysfunction there um, because you're seeing and you're being bombarded with kind of the the, the worst of society over and over again. Right. And, you know, and having to, to figure out how to emotionally deal with that. So I was curious. Um, you know, because it meant, you know, men and women are built differently. Newsflash. I know. I, I just said that. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I have to get canceled. You know, oh gosh, you know, right. can we edit that out? I um, know. <laughs> no, but men and women are different. We have different, um, you know, emotional um, structuring and capacities. And yes, of course, there are, you know, there are men that are very feminine. 
And there are women that are very masculine and there are men that approach things like a woman does. And there's things that, uh, you know, women do that are like a man, you know, okay, right. hey, we get it. But generally I'm just curious because I, I don't talk to that many female officers um, as to, you know, how they view or how they deal with some of those things. Because I know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, I know a lot of departments for those things where you do need a female to help and all that stuff that, you know, you guys can gravitate to st- some of those roles where you're having to deal with, you know, human trafficking victims and, and all that. So, you know, it must be tough. It is definitely. And thankfully, you know, women like to communicate. We we love to talk about our problems and sometimes... Right. Our spouses or, you know, our other hats, they're, they're not really interested. They're like, yeah, we don't want to hear about all about your mushy feelings. Right. Um, and so thankfully. Not me. I'm yeah, all about all, all it. About just it. ask my wife. I right. mean, just, baby, come on. Come on. Tell don't me more. Don't forget Valentine's Day is tell coming me more. up. And give me more detail. <laughs> give me more detail. Right. No. <laughs> um, and so thankfully, I have a group of friends on the department that are females. Um, I'm part of a group that um, really support each other. And so we talk about those things, you know, and we, we discuss them and how are you an officer and a mom and yeah. how are you, you know, separating the two. Um, and you know, my husband's also on the job okay. and I think that helps. Yeah. I think that it's difficult for women who have uh, significant others that aren't on the job or who are newly seeking, you know, they're out there looking for a, for a date and these guys don't understand why they have a gun in their purse. Um, and it becomes this, this weird, you know, dynamic. And yeah. so I carry a gun in my yeah, purse. I don't right. know why anybody <laughs> right. you'll, would you'll think that was weird. Anytime. I'm sure of it. I don't think, yeah, I don't understand. Yeah. Um, and so I do, I have a group of friends that really understand and support me. And, um, yeah. so, you know, it's just all about balance. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a, it's a, a very unique job. Not that others are, you know, not that other jobs don't carry their own unique sets of things, but I mean, it is a, it is a particularly unique uh, position that you serve in society. Um, I, I should release it sometime. And in fact, um, I, I should have, but um, we did a podcast on a, um, uh, with Rob McCoy, our pastor of our church on another, uh, another podcast that, that uh, we were doing at the time. And he talked so beautifully about what that role really is, because you are a minister of justice, um, mm-hmm. you know, in society, and you have a particular, you know, set of um, responsibilities that that you are uniquely placed in that role for, and uh, and it comes with you know awesome responsibility, but it it comes with uh, you know real awesome challenges at the same time. So. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, what, what is that dynamic? Like, I mean, not that I want to get too. you know, don't get your husband in trouble. Cause I'm sure he is an amazing guy just by his name. Right. Um, but, but, uh, what is that dynamic like, um, you know, having two, you know, two cops in the house, you know, it's, um, we have found the balance thankfully, but it, we each have a different role and, um, I, I take note of, his different personality. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm, I'm naturally a giver. I want to give and I want to fix everyone's problems. And so, um, and he's kind of opposite of that. And so I think that's what keeps us going. Um, but we're also great friends. And so I think that's super important. Um, you have a friend that you can relate to on, on different topics with work. Right. Um, and that's a huge help for us, I think. 
Um, and so again, it's just finding that balance between the two of us. Yeah, no, it's good. And, and I mean, I, I think that's a, um, the good, the good takeaway there really is, you know, we need, we need community and we need people who, you know, understand what we're doing. So the fact that you have your friends there, you have your husband, you know, so you, you get and understand that job so that when you are dealing with, you know, those really kind of traumatic things over and over again, you know, you've got you've got some healthy structural like coping mechanisms in there and, and right. that community to kind of undergird you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so let's, um, you know, move forward a little bit to kind of what you're doing now in your role. Um, because I know you, you've got a, a, a special role as well. So I let's talk, do. yeah, let's talk yes. about that. So I left essentially detective work where you're investigating, you're, you know, interviewing suspects, you're talking to victims, I left all that and I wasn't really ready. I felt in my heart to leave that kind of work, but something else approached. Um, and so I work an assignment where I represent officers during their interviews with internal affairs or our force investigation division when they're involved in a categorical use of force, um, an officer involved shooting any major law enforcement related injury. So say someone gets beanbagged and um, they lose an eye. Um, they have to be interviewed by our force investigation division. And I represent those officers. So I work closely with our attorney and our, our attorneys in our league. So anytime there's an officer involved shooting, the shooter will be uh, interviewed by FID and they will have an attorney. But any of the percipient witnesses, the partner officers, if you render aid, if you handcuff, if you're part of, you know, the tactical team, I represent those officers in that interview. And initially, I didn't really know what that entailed or how it would work because I'm not, I'm no attorney, right? Right. But I knew that uh, I had to protect these officers. There's the officer's bill of rights. Um, we all have rights. And so... um. I've kind of paved my way through this new assignment and it's one of the most fulfilling jobs I think I've done in my, you know, in my time with this department. It's completely different from what I've done before. Um, but I can see on the back end how it's really helping these officers. We have to be able to articulate every single time we unholster our firearm Um if we had our finger on the trigger, were our sights aligned? I mean, these questions are in, in detail, right? Um, there's a public safety statement. Anytime an officer is involved in a shooting, there's nine questions that are asked by a supervisor. Um, how many rounds did you fire? In which direction? Where was the suspect? Things like that. And so they have to be able to articulate their actions. And sometimes during those incidents, you know, they're all over the place. You've just been involved in a very traumatic incident. Um, and so to be able to help and guide those officers has become something that I, I really, really enjoy and love. Yeah, that's great. Um, especially because right now uh, we've seen the temperature change towards police officers in our society and law enforcement in general in our society. Um, not for the better. Right. Um, so those guys are kind of hanging out there um, and they need advocates and they need somebody to, to come and, and, you know, help them get through those things because they're, 
they're um, you know presumed guilty now by the media so quickly. Um, and there's you know and I and I say it all the time. I think um, you, you know all of these important roles in society deserve scrutiny. Right. Absolutely. And to just label everyone as heroes, to kind of put them on a pedestal and and avoid any accountability and things like that, which we, you know, have done with certain professions. We've certainly done it with teachers, you know, oh, they're heroes, you know, all that stuff. Right. The, the truth is, it's like any other job in on the planet. You've got, um, you know, many in the majority of them that are just quite mediocre. Because right. that's just life, just average, right? Um, you've got some that are absolutely terrible, and you've got a few that are amazing and you know great, uh, unbelievable human beings, and that's true universally, whatever the job is, right? Um, and so we, you know, we have to be able to hold people accountable, but we also have to, as that role, being that minister of justice, they actually answer differently in our society, um, you know, in, in how they are structured. They have privileges and those privileges, you know, need to be protected, um, you know, and, and that's why I'm a little bit concerned. And I don't know if you're following like SB2, I believe it is. Right. Um, I'm super concerned about how that's going to affect law enforcement and, and how that, I think, is going to potentially ruin the job. Um, uh, you know, I don't know, but uh, I would love to get your, your thoughts on that. For the Alliance Interest family, finances in their blood. I grew up with them and they've handled my entire financial world for nearly 30 years. And as a testament to their talents, they've managed to keep me not just out of trouble, which in and of itself is remarkable, but they've helped me build real wealth. They've assisted me through complex business transactions and family matters. Now, even my daughters are working with Uncle Randy to put financial disciplines in place for their futures. Invest with people who share our values and will help you to be a good steward with what God has given you. Let Alliance in Trust help you to plan for what's next. Visit aewealth.com or call 805-371-8020 to learn more. So I think that... There's always going to be something, right? Something yeah. always comes up and we're scrutinized on every level. Um, thankfully, I work for, you know, a department that we're the second largest in the nation um, in Southern California. And we are well trained. Yeah. Probably the best trained yeah, I would in agree. the nation, right? Yeah. And so I think when you're involved in something and it goes sideways, if you will, mm -hmm. that you can only be protected so much, right? But you have to fall back on that training and that um, experience that you have to, to kind of get you through that. And so I think if you screw up so badly um, and you divert from your training and you, um, you know, you make a mistake that's ultimately going to put you in a position to lose your job, you know, <sighs> It's, there's not really much that can be do, you know, be done to protect you. Um, you know, we all recently watched what unfolded in, in Memphis and that hurts. It hurts for all of us. We yeah. see it and we're like, that's not us. That's right. not who we are. Right. Um, and how did we get there? You know, how did they get to that point to where you have, this many people on the same page, if you will. 
Yeah, well, what, I, what I'm concerned about with that one in particular is there's some evidence that's coming out as to the pressure that Memphis, uh, the department, was under to start to, you know, keep, um, you know, their, their end strength up. And so they lowered some hiring standards. Now, I don't know if that particular, you know, group of officers, you know, were... Um, uh, a part of that, let's say, but, you know, there's probably some issues that are going on with that department for that to be the case. Um, and, and yeah, you know, amen to the department you're, you're a part of, which is, you know, one of the, the, um, better ones in the nation and the most highly, uh, trained and, and I, um, have a great affection for them. But, you know, I think there's uh, my concern is, is that we're going to have more issues with attracting the right kind of people as you remove the privileges of being a police officer from the equation, because they need to be a somewhat elevated and protected class. Now, that doesn't mean they're without accountability, but my concern with this particular law is you're going to put that accountability in the hands of people who don't understand policing. And also don't understand that an arrest and control situation is messy by Absolutely. very nature. Um, you know, I've, I, we thought of one time doing a video, um, you know, to demonstrate that. And we were going to do it with PragerU or, or some organization. And, and it just, it, it was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And it just didn't get organized. But we were going to have a, a Will Witt or, you know, some personality like that. Um, just try to handcuff a more passively resisting female. Mm. Okay. Um, and, you know, give him some arrest control, uh, you know, training, some coaching, you know, like put him through some. Uh, so, you know, he's not just totally an idiot about it, but give him some skills and, and demonstrate how messy it really is getting someone who does not want to comply to comply. Right. It is not an easy thing. You Correct. have to be very expertly trained. And a lot of the officers around the country are not. You know, again, my background is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, you know, a lot of our guys that, that train, I mean, they can they can take somebody and they can because of proper technique and leverage and all that, they can they can make it happen and they can do it without, you know, great bodily harm, you know, Um but that's not the average officer out there. They don't get the depth and training. And I'm talking, you know, countrywide. They don't get the depth of training that they need to be able to do that effectively all the time. So even if they are highly trained, it still is going to look messy. It's still going to look tough on camera. Um, you know, that that's a hard thing. So I wouldn't want, um, you know, civilian boards that have no real clue being the ones to decide these guys' fate. Right. And so we have, um, you know, it's kind of twofold. I think that sometimes we want to be judged by civilians because mm -hmm. we feel like we've done everything right. We're trained. Um, and if we can prove our point to you, then you'll see why we are in the right. Um, and sometimes if it's not a civilian board and it's command staff who may want to promote they're going to go and follow what the department wants. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where it's tough. It's like, it's, I think it's 50, 50 with officers wanting a civilian board and, you know, the other ha half wanting, you know, sworn board. Mm -hmm. um, 
because for, in my experience, so we handle appeals within our department where there are civilian members on the board that hear these cases, um, whether it's an, uh, you know, out of policy use of force, right? And they're listening to both sides of the story. And I've seen where we've had the opportunity to say, hey, look, here it is from beginning to end. We can pause each clip. You hear directly from the officer and it's gone in favor of the officer. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of twofold, but when you have a department that's not trained uh, like we are, then it's difficult to try to, you know, sway their decision. It's difficult to say, hey, look, we're, we're highly trained. Um, these officers did the right thing because that's not the case. Right. Um, and so you're right. It is all about training. It is all about um, that physical fitness, getting into, um, you know, to getting into all of that, but that's a whole, you know, another topic, I guess. <laughs> well, we can go with whatever topic you want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, again, I'm, I'm concerned about the, um, you know, we need to have a real high uh, quality caliber of officer. Absolutely. We need, we need people that, uh, that have for, um, um, you know, that have real ambition for the job. Okay. And, uh, uh, you want highly educated people. You want people that, you know, have that sense of, you know, I want to be a protector. I want to be someone who's, you know, there to help keep the peace. If, if there isn't a, or we lose the, the feeling of we, we have their back, you know, we protect them. Um, and again, I mean the healthy version of that. I don't mean, um, you know, the, the version of that, that disregards the citizen. Right. Um, you know, and I've, I've said it before on the show, I said it, um, on, uh, another one that we recorded, uh, earlier this week, you know, we back the blue. Okay. Conservatives back the blue. Right. Um, but not when they are the arm of a totalitarian regime and enforcing things that are not a part of their um, purview. And uh, if they're violating our constitutional rights, if they are abusive, you know, all those things are backing the blue stops. Of course. And, uh, and you know, of course, that's not unreasonable. But, you know, there's a um, that that message needs to be, I think, really, really clear that, right. you know, we love our police officers, but we love them because we love the idea and concept of appropriate law and order. Of course. And if they cease to, uh, you know, deliver that appropriate law and order, you know, then that's when, you know, the, the backing stops. Right. So we got to we got to kind of reset, I think, the that there. And I'm just concerned to, to put a point on my um, uh, put a period on my point is I'm concerned about people who would otherwise be great for the job going, mm, no, thanks. Right. Losing the good ones, essentially. Yep. And and so the the new mayor um, of a certain county just yeah. south and east of us. <laughs> You're just going to have to guess people. Um, right. Yeah. Came out with a statement that um, she wants to kind of reform the hiring process with our department. And one of the things she said is that she wanted reformed minded people applying for our department. So what does that look like? Reformed minded? I mean, in what sense? So is it okay that you've committed crimes all the way up until you were 18 and all of a sudden you haven't you know, and now you're only 22 or 23, and that's only a short span of time that you haven't committed crimes. Um, are you deemed reformed, or are you? Do you always have that mentality after you know you see a pattern of conduct with with 
crimes, right? You're committing one after the other, whether and they become more egregious. Um, so we're all concerned also because we don't want those kind of people as our partners, right? right? We don't want to work side by side with somebody who could potentially fly off the handle during, during a use of force and, you know, start, you know, doing things that they've done in the past. Yeah. I mean, well, we saw in Memphis and again, you know, I, I want to make sure we are careful um, about, uh, you know, presuming these guys guilty, but it's right. very, you know, it's very, um, uh, the, what we saw was very damning. Yes. Okay? Very clearly damning. Um, but you, you know, you saw them lose their minds. Absolutely. You saw, you saw them, uh, you know, and, and again, we don't know all that led up to everything. And, uh, but you know, it's, it's really, really ugly. It looks really, really awful. It looks like those guys deserve every bit of punishment that they get. Um, but again, you know, let's see all that go through. We, uh, we have a system, uh, and a process of we justice. Do. Um, but they, um, you know, you saw them, you know, pick him up and beat him up while he was standing and continued right. to beat him when they had control of him, you know, and, and things like that, um, you know, should never go on. And so um, that uh, their emotions were inflamed. You could see it, you know, in their badge cam at, after right. after they were kind of talking themselves down and, you know, trying to cover their butts by what they were saying on the badge cams, all those sort of stuff. It was super ugly. And we can't have those incidences. No. And, you know, we can't have people losing their mind. We need people with great emotional stability and control and great emotional maturity, right. you know, in the face of, you know, you know, um, people who could be very, very ugly to the police and very uncooperative and, you know, um, evil people and right. stuff that, you know, you got to deal with in a society. Yeah. How do you say I love you? Is it with flowers, chocolate? Can jewelry express true love? In the end, they all fall short. The only thing that can completely communicate the depths of your affection this Valentine's Day is meat. Not any meat, though. Over 85% of grass-fed beef sold is imported from overseas. That's why it has to be Good Ranchers. 100% American hand-trimmed steakhouse quality meat delivered to your door. Don't say it how you always have. Say it with meat. Right now, you can get $30 off when you order any box from Good Ranchers and use the code BRYCE. This is a gift sure to add sizzle to that special day, whether on the grill or in a pan. Nothing simmers like prime cuts of beef, pasture-raised chicken, and premium quality seafood. You can get it all at GoodRanchers.com. Perfect for the lady, the man, or yourself this Valentine's Day. Good Ranchers is the gift that keeps on grilling. Ditch the usual gifts that just don't cut it anymore. Say it with American meat instead. Snag your $30 off with my code BRYCE at GoodRanchers.com today. Love is in the air and it smells just like, you guessed it, Good Ranchers. Save $30 on your unique gift this Valentine's Day by visiting GoodRanchers.com. American meat delivered. You know, and unfortunately... We're nowhere near Memphis, you know, but we take the brunt of it and yeah. they burn our city down um, because they're upset. And rightfully so. I get that. You know, we're, we're not happy about that either. Right. Um, so we see that and we think, you know, protest peacefully. But how do you tell someone to protest peacefully who's so fed up of seeing something, but it's happening somewhere else? It's yeah. not, you know, it's not happening here. Thankfully, knock on wood. Um, yeah. Not like it is there, anyhow. 
Um, and so that's where it becomes very disheartening for us because we have to, you know, we have to rebuild this trust with our community, even though it didn't even happen in our own community. It didn't happen here. Um, so I can't imagine what it would be like to be there for that community, for that family. It's going to take decades for them to try to rebuild that, you know, trust with the department. I mean, no one wants to call the police if they think that's what the outcome is. Um, so I think we still have a lot of work to do. Um, but I think that we here in Southern California are doing a great job of that. I just hope that we can continue to get the right people, like you said, in the door that have the heart for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, we both know across the country um, there's hiring issues. Um, there's a shortage of, uh, you know, talented recruits. Um, and there have been departments that have had to diminish or lower their standards in order to, to get the people they need. And, you know, that has a long lasting effect. And Absolutely. if we're creating environments where um, you've got, you know, talented people retiring early or moving to, you know, other departments and other areas, you know, then, you know, we're going to, we're going to get into a, a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and these days we don't just have skid row. <laughs> we, we don't, we have a lot of, um, you know, homelessness and, uh, you know, open air drug markets and, you know, things right. like that, that are plaguing the city. So, you know, you guys have a, a really rough job and, uh, it's, it's not easy. No. Um, what else, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, any of those thoughts that you have with what's happening with crime or anything um, that you're seeing, um, you know, have you been concerned or what What can you say about that? I have, you know, I think that our city, our community, these victims, um, they're not seeing justice because the laws have changed. There are certain crimes that are not deemed felonies any longer. Mm-hmm. So repeat criminals are out on the streets continuing to commit crimes. And so, you know, I tell my friends that aren't in law enforcement, you know, when you're eating lunch out on the boulevard and you're at a, a cute cafe and you're carrying your Gucci bag and you're sitting there trying to enjoy your lunch, be careful, be on the lookout because what people don't realize is that it's happening everywhere around us. Yeah. Um, these street robberies, I mean, they're stealing French bulldogs out of, you know, you're walking your dog down the street and people are stealing your dog because there's no consequence. I don't understand that because I think those are ugly dogs. Why would you want one? <laughs> Maybe. I'm going to get emails from the French bulldog group. Right. I get it. My my kid's obsessed with Frenchies and so he wants one. I'm like, sorry, son, we're not stealing one from anyone. Um, but they're taking them, they're breeding yeah. them, and then they're selling them on the black market, if you will. But there's wow. no there's no consequence to any of these crimes, Right. These low-level crimes, if you will, um, robbery, street robberies, things like that, assault with a deadly weapon. There's, they're not yeah, doing low-level ch- crimes right. like that, assault with a deadly right. weapon. Like, you what, know, things that are no big deal. What, what happened? What yeah. happened to our, our, to society where we've deemed these to be low-level yeah. crimes? Tr- trespassing, crimes, right? Crimes against children. Yeah. So you can have someone just, you know, traipsing through your backyard, and you know, popping a tent in your literal, literally in your backyard. You can call PD. It will take us five hours to respond because it's not, there's no violent act in progress. We get there five hours later and now he's established residency and you can't get this guy out. And we see it day in and day out Um, because you can't keep anybody in jail. You know, all of the schedule one narcotics, heroin, meth, it's all a misdemeanor to possess. 
yeah. before it was a felony. And so those people were seeing jail time and now they're not. Yeah, what people don't understand, and you can add flavor to this, is uh, you're taking tools away from law enforcement because, you know, you're not going to just bust the guy for possession just, you know, just to do it all the time. But that is a tool to get someone who's out there about to perform robberies or, you know, fueling their drug habit with other things. That can be the impetus for you to, you know, put them in the system and, you know, get them off the streets where they're in the process of moving towards greater and greater things and um, you know, or getting them to roll over on other uh, more serious criminals and, you know, get information from them that's needed in order to enforce crime. All that stuff is not happening when you remove the penalties from some of those quote unquote, lower level crimes. Absolutely. You're not, we're not able to do our job. And so um, we have victims and we have the community that are outraged you know, with our response time, yeah. they're outraged why these, uh, the unhoused individuals, the transients, um, are continuing to yeah, just Yeah, what are we allowed to that. say now? Yeah, yeah, unhoused, is that the new one? They're yeah. not bums, it's not transients, it's not hobos, I think it's unhoused individuals, which, you know. I want to bring back hobo. I think right? that's it's a good, good one. one. <laughs> but uh, people don't get it and they think, well, they need help, they need, there's not enough housing, but what they don't realize is that if they are arrested for a misdemeanor, the city attorney in Los Angeles County will offer them uh, in lieu of jail time or probation. They'll say, hey, look, if you go to a rehab or you go to a housing facility for 30 days that we'll provide you, right? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, showers, right. doctor's appointments, we will uh, eliminate that crime from your record. And they're like, eh, no thanks. So they're not even taking the housing. Because yeah. there's rules. They have to be in bed by 10. Yeah. They can't smoke. They can't drink. Um, and no one wants to follow those rules. So they just run rapid, you know, in, in all of our neighborhoods. Yeah, that's why uh, homelessness is such a terrible euphemism, because it's not really what the issue is. And, right. and we have to have compassion for these Absolutely. folks. They are um, uh, they're enslaved to drugs and to, you know, uh, mental health issues and things like that, you know, many of which are related Right. Um, and we've got to figure out how to address the real issue. If you define things, but you know, if you cre- use euphemisms, mm-hmm. you're not defining things, things that you can't define, you can't solve. Absolutely. And that's why they, they play that game a little bit because there is also a big activist culture and that activist culture makes a lot of money um, on these things and gets money for programs and stuff that they're doing that don't really solve the problem. If we solved the problem, they'd be out of jobs. Right, exactly. And so... When you live on the street and you get breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks, and dessert delivered to you by different groups on a daily basis, you don't want to to move from that location. You're comfortable there. You're happy there. You can get your, your drugs, and you can make, you know, 500 bucks a day on the, on the street corner, you know, panhandling. And so you're right. They're not addressing the issue. But then when they become enraged or they're high on drugs, you know, in the middle of the night, what are they doing? They're going, breaking into cars, breaking into homes to steal things to sell so that they can, you know, afford their next fix. And taking our other resources, the police, the firefighters, the firefighters, you know, that it's a big problem for them going around and, you know, shuttling these guys around and taking them to hospitals and things like that. And, you know, that, that takes away from, you know, again, an orderly society that we need to be having. Right. 
so what else before we uh you know conclude here in the in the last few minutes is there um any way we can follow you um you know any other things that you want to nuggets of wisdom you want to give us um you can follow me i am on instagram it's la50 la spelled out 50h um and i you know i talk about my journey through the department and um kind of what it's like to be a female on the job um nothing too exciting yeah but uh you know I do believe that like we want good partners, you know, in this department and it it is, it's an amazing job. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I love, absolutely love what I do. And so, um, you can have that too, you know? And so retention is important within our job. And if you're interested in it and you have questions, like don't hesitate to reach out, um, because there are mentors and people there that, can help guide you through that. But I will say that life experience, finishing school, you know, getting a job, experiencing real life is all important before, you know, making the decision to, to be a cop, because essentially at the end of the day, you have to be willing to uh, lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. And so if you're not willing to do that and you're not willing to, you know, take that risk, then this really isn't the the job for you. So well, good. Well, words of wisdom because we need good people on yeah, the job. We do. So, well, thank you for being a good person. Thank you for coming mm-hmm. in and hanging out with me. And, thank you for uh, having you know, me. Yeah, telling your story. It. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I'd love to come back if you ever have anything else you want to talk about. Being a mom of three crazy kids, but yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, thank it. you. All right. Thank you.